We're going to be in three different texts today. I don't do this very often. Let me show you what they are. Uh, Exodus 4, and then 2 Corinthians 6, and then Numbers 12. So leave that up for a second. We're going to be in three different texts because I want to show you a continuum. Now, this is dangerous, quite honestly, if you do this all the time, because I could cherry pick a few verses out of the Bible and say, by all of this that I just showed you, you should all shave your head and change your last name to Whitfield. And uh, cult, here we go. All right, so so we want to be careful to always look at... at um, text in their context so that we understand what the Bible actually says and means. But I'm going to make a thread here today because as we look at becoming a multi-ethnic church and what that looks like, one of the questions uh, that you need to deal with is in your own life, is in your marriage. What does uh, multi-ethnic, uh, what does the Bible say about multi-ethnic marriage? What is that? And also, uh, so I'm going to show you some ways. In fact, the Lord gave me something really cool, and I'm going to show you something that's going to help you in your marriage. And so if you're not married yet, I'm going to help you choose wisely. If you are married, I'm going to help you uh, do better in your marriage. And so we're going to answer a lot of those questions today, but we need to go through all of these texts to see this thread. So let's look first at Exodus chapter 4. Now, Moses has just met God, and God has spoken to him in the burning bush. Huge, I mean, this is, this is like the pinnacle event uh, of his life so far. God literally spoke to him in a burning bush and gave him a job to go back to Egypt and to free his people. So Moses is riding high. He is on a point with the Lord. Things are going well. On his journey back, we read what God does. Now, this is going to be, uh, this is surprising. So he's just gotten the order. Uh, Exodus 4, verse uh, 24. On the trip at an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him, that's Moses, to death. So Zipporah, that's his wife, took a flint uh, and cut off her son's foreskin, threw it at Moses' feet and said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let Moses, left Moses alone. At that time, she said, Zipporah said, you are a bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. Now that's a weird verse. All right, so, <laughs> right, you're like, hey, go back to Egypt. You're my man. You are in charge. The very next scene, God's like, I'm going to kill him. And, uh, and so, and then his wife circumcises her son and throws it down at his feet. And God's like, all right. I mean, what is going on? Some of you, this is the reason that uh, just picking out a random verse to start in the Bible is not the way to go. All right, so. Don't do that. So, but let me explain to you what's happening because it's so important. Moses uh, is an Israelite. He has a covenant. He's in a covenant relationship with the true God. One of the ways that God expects his people in this day to express that covenant is for males eight days old uh, to be circumcised. At this point in time, the only people in the world that were circumcised were Israelites. And so that is their covenant relationship. So Moses marries Zipporah, who is not an Israelite. And so I'm sure at some point they're having a, a, a conversation. And can you imagine this conversation for the first time? He's going, oh, by the way, you know, if this is a boy, we need to circumcise him. And she's like, what is that? And he explains it. And she's like, well, we're not doing that. I mean, that would seem barbaric to someone who, who had not ever uh, uh, experienced that. And so Moses, instead of taking the leadership mantle and saying, 
uh, yes, we will, woman, which, uh, which, you know, I often say to Melinda, and she, she just, I mean, it's fine. It's good. It's good. good word. Try that. Um, and so <laughs> she's, she's not in this service, so I'll say what I want. And uh, <laughs> um, so, so he doesn't stand up to her, and he's like, okay, well, it's fine. And so God, God is serious. God is really, he's talking here about them, them raising their children uh, in, in the fear of the Lord. This is the way they are supposed to do it. And Moses caves on that. And so because of that, God's like, no, we're not, we're not moving past this issue. We're not doing this halfway. So when God confronts them, Zipporah all of a sudden, remember, God has been speaking to Moses alone. And he goes back and tells Zipporah. But now he, uh, um, Zipporah sees God come down, and all of a sudden she's like, he's about to kill him. She, you know, basically she's like, okay, I, I think we should. I think we should do this. And so it's this idea of how are you going to make uh, decisions in your marriage based on both of your backgrounds. It's a hard thing to, to understand. How are you going to make decisions? Because let's be honest, when you first get married and you go to your in-laws first Thanksgiving or first Christmas, you walk out of there and you go, your family is weird. All right, my family is weird, but it's, it's the only weird I've ever known. But your family is totally weird. Like, I, 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 why do y'all do this? Why do y'all do that? And you've got to learn how to make decisions as a married couple. And so let me give you um, what I think is one of the most helpful ways to work through this. So there are four decisions that you can make on the way that you are going to raise your children. Moses and Zipporah uh, did it one way. You've got to do it another way. Now, uh, along with that story, we are dedicating, we're having parent-child dedication next week. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never, uh, if you've, you know, we have a lot of, of, of new babies being born pretty continuously here at River Valley. And so we want to dedicate them to the Lord. That's the idea that they're celebrating here. It's this, this idea that, hey, we want to raise this child. That's why it's not just child dedication. It's parent-child dedication. The parents are saying, we want to raise this child uh, uh, unto the Lord and, and pray for them as a church. We're going to pray for, for our, our small children here as a church and say, hey, we want them to grow up to know Jesus Christ. We don't want that testimony that were like, you know, by the time I was six, I was robbing banks, you know, that kind of, we don't want that, all right? We want that I've served the Lord all the days of my life testimony. And so, so that's, that's what they're doing. Now, how do we make decisions uh, in our marriage? There's really four ways. Uh, if you've got any kind of Christian influence, there's God's way, my way, your way, or our way. There's God's way, my way, your way, or our way. We've got to make a decision using one of those as a guideline for how we do. So let me walk you through it. So God's way, there are certain things that God says that he desires for us to do. There are, there are ways, there are thoughts, there's theology of how we think, there's actions that we take based on that theology. And so God's way is set in many circumstances. So you are saved in Christ, you are baptized afterwards, those type of ways. Even if you were raised somewhere different, we see in the text how, how baptism happens. And so there's, there is God's way of doing that. And we've got to look through God's word, and we've got to be people under the authority of the word of God to say, it doesn't it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter the way I was raised. It doesn't matter the culture that is around me. Your word is an authority. Now, 
when those don't happen, what we often hear is uh, marriage is all about compromise. There's some of that, and that would certainly be our way, but that's not really a full way of thinking about marriage. Because marriage and what we have is when we have this first disagreement of, oh, no, I want to do this with our kids. Oh, no, I want to do this with our kids. Oh, no, no, we want to raise them this way, no, this way. Then what we do is uh, one of the worst things that you can do in marriage is think of disagreements as I win or you win. It's not that way at all. It ought to be in humility. Sometimes you look at your spouse and you go, your way is better. The way your family did that, that's, that's better than my family. All right, my family, I don't want to carry on. My family's crazy, needs to stop in this generation. And so let's do it your way. And you've got to have humility to look at that and to say, you know what? There are some things that your family did that are really, really good, and we want to adopt those. And it's not that you win and I lose. It's that God has brought us together as one, and we win by learning from your upbringing. So, so don't think of your way or my way as some sort of uh, disagreement where you've got a win and a loser. All of these ways, when you choose correctly, are winners. If it's God's way, if it's your way is better, or sometimes it's got to be our way. We've got to decide, and this might not be compromise. This might be, I didn't do good, you didn't do good. Let's find a new way. Let's learn a new pattern of how to get along and do that. And so what we need to do in all of these moments in our life is look at early, especially early on this happens, you know, you, you, at some point you, you get kind of set. But early on in your marriage, as you're learning to be married, and as you're raising children, you've got to make these conscientious decisions of how to raise your children, and you've got to be a unified front and pull in the same direction. And so we learn from that from God's Word. We learn from that from other people who've done it successfully, and we've done that through humility that we can learn from our spouse, that we can adopt some things in the way that they are doing. Now, this is important for all marriages. This is important for all marriages. Let me explain to you the, the, the difference. So if you married someone from a different culture, now, I don't just mean uh, ethnically here. So, but certainly if you married someone from a different ethnic culture, then y'all were raised differently. There's some, there's some uh, uh, ways that you think and operate that you're going to have to use this on a continual basis. But it might not be ethnics only. It might be geography. If you are from the deep south and you married someone from the north, God help you. But yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm not biased. I'm really not. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, there's going to be differences there. There's, there's differences in how you think and operate. If you were raised in the city and they were raised on a farm, there's differences. If you were raised with some money and they were raised fairly poor, there are differences and you're going to have to work through them. If you were raised as an only child, the special chosen child of the world, those of you who are the only child, then you were raised differently than someone who had a large family and had to like fight. It was like, uh, you know, hunger games every day just to eat, right? I mean, there's differences in all of those and you're going to have to use this as a model and not just assume that you're going to do it your way. In every single situation, you're going to have to use this. Now, my wife and I were raised very similarly. 
So we, uh, we came from the same kind of part of the state. Uh, our dads would have been friends uh, if they'd known each other. We, we have uh, very similar ways. But that means that we still have to do this or else we're just going to fall into a pattern that might not be the best. We're going to have to and say, instead of saying, oh, you did it that way, I did it that way. Let's, let's continue on. We're going to have to back up and say, let's think about this. Is this, is this God's way of doing this? Is this the way, even though we're both comfortable in this, is this the best way to do this? And you're not dissing your parents or, or saying anything at that point, but what you are doing is saying, you know what? We're going to try to raise our children in, in the culture that we live, in the way that we live, under God's authority to the best of our ability. So all of us need this model to look at to decide how we are going to do marriage and raise our children so that we can be successful. Moses didn't do that. Moses caved on one that, sh- that should have gone the opposite way, and it literally almost cost him his life. And so what I want to say to you is, is you've got to understand God's word. Even Moses, I mean, you're going to see in a second, God says, I speak to Moses. Moses is my man. And yet, God says, if you don't follow my word, there there are dire, dire consequences to that. So uh, we use Moses as his first point as something that he did not do right in the early days that really and truly uh, almost thwarted the whole movement of God in his life. Now, second point out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So basically, we want to look now, okay, um, Okay, so, so we know how to make decisions within marriage, but who can we marry? As far as I know, you can look at individual situations of people that marry, and you can uh, uh, find uh, some, some ways to learn from that. But this passage that we're about to read is the only passage that I can think of in the entire Bible that explicitly says who you may and who you may not marry as a believer. This is the only one, so use it wisely listen to it and heed it it is so important so uh second corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse 14 the first the first line of it is is the most important so don't be yoked with those who do not believe underline that circle that that's the whole idea. Now, he's going to explain it and flesh it out a little bit more, but there's the big idea. Do not come together with unbelievers in any partnership. Now, uh, so he goes on. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? That's an a, a, a idol. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So, who can we marry? So he says, do not be yoked. That, that word is also translated mismatched or partnered, uh, but it is a word picture of a yoke. Let me show you a yoke. This is a yoke. Uh, a yoke is a harness that two uh, beasts of burden, normally cattle, that when you are, are pulling, when you are plowing a field, are put there together. This is a double yoke. And so now you've got the ability for the necks of the animals to be put into this yoke. Let me show you how it works in this next picture. 
here we are. <laughs> I think it's so funny, God, marriage. God's like, marriage is just like them cows. All right, <laughs> look at that. I mean, come on, man, that's funny, you know? Uh, and so, <laughs> so, so the two cows are now yoked together and the farmer is using that to plant his field. Let's, let's be honest, you, you know, we, uh, the honeymoon is easy. The actual wedding ceremony is easy, especially if your dad, the, the, you know, somebody's paying for it all. I mean, those are easy. And then you go back home to marriage and you're like, this ground is hard and we've got to pull this. And then, and then you have kids in there and they're just messing with it the whole time. Marriage is hard. And so what does God say? Marriage is like pulling. So don't be unequally yoked. So don't have one that's pulling hard and the other one's just a couple, you know, one step behind and you're doing the hard work and they're just kind of walking along beside. Also, don't be yoked in that they're always pulling against and trying to go in a different direction. Be equally yoked in all of your close partnerships. So, and also, what's interesting about yoking animals together... Um, uh, so if you've got one cow that can pull a thousand pounds and the other one's right around there a thousand so together uh, you would think well you combine them they, they can pull two thousand that's actually not true by learning to work together they can pull uh, upwards of three thousand pounds together and so it's not just your ability but it's God teaching us to work together in those moments now marriage for most of us um, it's not uh, like you divide all the chores or you do half of, of, you know, the dishes, I'll do half of the dishes. For most of us, it's you do all the dishes, I'll do all the vacuuming. It's, it's, uh, but, but it's still that idea of we both are working together to make this end come about. And so uh, this partnership is important. This applies mostly to marriage. Do not marry an unbeliever. Do not marry an unbeliever. The Bible doesn't uh, add that as a, you know, it could, the Bible says specifically not to. It is a sin, and it will have consequences if you marry an unbeliever. That should kind of uh, uh, change how we do life a little bit, in that the years that we should be looking for a mate, um, it's better to look at church than the bar. That's a good, uh, I'm not saying that, that well, do with that what you want, all right? I mean, you, you know, uh, in fact, I, I, now listen, I, I did not live for the Lord early on, and so the God graciously delivered me. But frankly, uh, I have the ultimate preacher story. I met my wife at church, and so it was a little church without a college department. There were three college students there, me, Melinda and another dude, one of us, one of the guys was going to be disappointed. And uh, I mean, there was, and so, and we were both fighting for her. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was down to the wire. And so uh, she chose me. I wonder if she ever regrets. Uh, and so, but, so, 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 so choose well, but choose first and foremost a believer in Jesus Christ and a believer who is pulling similarly to you. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, about a third of people are meeting their, their spouses online now, which is fine. But what I've, I've uh, heard from people who are dating online, even in Christian sites, is so many people are using those and are, and are very worldly, but they're just trying to find, you know, any way to hook up with someone. Listen, 
there's a difference somebody that says I'm a Christian and someone that really and truly loves Jesus, loves him, serves him, is faithful to him and his church and shows that throughout their life versus just someone who says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Don't be, don't be that and don't listen to that. Don't be yoked in that way. It will, it will end poorly. Now, this, uh, it says in partnerships, it doesn't specifically address marriage here. I think that's the biggest application. But let me give you some more. I would, uh, some more. Some more. Uh, uh, I, would, I would say uh, this, this text applies to uh, business partnerships. If you are a believer, are you going to run your business by godly principles or by worldly principles? So I wouldn't be in partnership uh, with an unbeliever. Uh, I wouldn't have inner circles of friends. Now, we all need to have friends who are lost, and, and I'm not saying that. And, but I'm talking about inner circle, like confidants, people that you share your life with ought to be good believers who direct you in those moments that you need that wise. Um, advisors. Uh, people that, that uh, uh, I, uh, when, when I had a nonprofit and I was looking for an accountant for our nonprofit, uh, I went and, and uh, the first question I asked him was, where do you go to church? And he told me, and I said, do you tithe? And he said, yes. And I said, all right, let's talk about finances. Because if he doesn't share my beliefs and my values, then I don't want him, I didn't want him managing uh, my company. At that time, I had a company, my company's money. And so uh, don't be unequally yoked in that way. Be very careful in the books that you read and how you are listening. Now, I do read a lot, I'll be very honest, I read a lot of books by non-believers. I, I, I do um, but I'm very, very conscientious of, of watching uh, how they are affecting me, uh, especially in growth areas, because the, the, there's, there's so much of a tendency for them to tell me things, you know, as I'm reading them, you're awesome and you're great and, you know, you're a champion. And I look in the Word of God and, and God's like, I am awesome. I am wonderful. You, not so much. And uh, that's where I want to land in those type of things. So uh, be uh, so, so uh, the the other thing that I that uh, very common in, in dating, don't what what, what I'm going to call is uh, don't date someone. And say, well, I know they're not a believer, but I'm I'm dating them so they'll become a believer. We we used to call that in, when I was in youth ministry, missionary dating. Uh, yeah, you know, so I'm I'm dating them so that they'll become a believer. Don't do that. Bible says you're yoked together. Don't choose someone for your inner circle in dating or in life. Um, that is not a believer. So let me show you a, a picture, and, and, and this is how we choose who we may marry. So which marriage, A or B or C, does God's word, by what we just read, counsel against? Now, leave it right there. Our tendency is in ethnicity. Our tendency is to look at skin color. Our tendency is to look at background first. We talked about in week one the primary thing that we want to be as believers is looking at people the way God sees them. They are made in the image of God, but do they have a relationship? So couple A, he is a non-Christian and she is a non-Christian. All right, so couple B, let's see them. He is a Christian and she is a Christian. Couple C, Let's see them. He is a non-Christian, but she is a Christian. Now stop right there. What I want you to see here is that God's word does not say 
who you can marry by their ethnicity. God's word says who you should marry based on their relationship with Christ. So, is it okay for two non-believers to get married? Yes. Is it okay for two believers to get married? Absolutely. But in this instance, the answer is C. The answer is the one that although ethnicity, they seem very similar, but he is a non-Christian and she is a Christian. And the Bible says specifically, do not do that. The Bible warns us that we will be uh, bringing together and it will be a hard season of relationships. So let's make sure and, and, and do that. Now, here's the question for all of what we're talking about today. How do we respond to that? Because most of us are married, uh, or a lot of us are married. Now, if you aren't married yet, heed what I'm saying. Learn from what I'm saying. Walk away from those who are not following Christ. But how do we respond to those who have married, uh, in, uh, in specifically today, because we're talking about ethnicity, uh, within a multi-ethnic relationship. The Bible talks about that as well. Numbers chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now we're back to Moses. Moses is the leader of the Israelites at this point. They have escaped Egypt. Moses has a brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, and I think that's very telling. It's easier to deal with the world uh, or with our friends sometimes than with our own family, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, sometimes so much has happened over the years within our family. This is a difficult situation. But let's read this. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses. Now, God knows our heart. Why did they criticize Moses? Because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Stay right there. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 20, uh, that a Cushite woman is an African woman, is a black woman. Moses is an Israelite. He would have been Middle Eastern. This is a black woman. They have married uh, into different ethnicities. And he had married that way. And the Bible says very clearly that God looked at their heart and God knew the problem they had was that these two had been married, that they were different uh, races, we usually say, ethnicities. All right, and so that was their problem. But what did they say in verse 2? They said, does the Lord speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. Moses, this is one of my favorite verses. This is the, one of the funniest verses in all the Bible. Moses wrote this verse. Moses was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. All right, that's hilarious. Think about it. Who is humble? Me. Who? I'm pretty humble. Oh, I'm way more humble than you, right? All right? But that, I mean, that, but the, we know and we believe that, that God, God instructs the writers of the Bible and, and he, he gives them those words. And so God is affirming that this is a very humble man. And, and he, he truly is. I mean, he's, the, he's the, the, the greatest leader in the Old Testament, in my opinion. I love Moses. And so verse four, 
Um, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of the meeting. So the three of them went out. The Lord uh, descended in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance of the temple, and uh, summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, listen to what I say. Is there a prophet among you from the Lord? I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. Now, everything that God just said, everything that Moses is doing, I am pleased with. What were they criticizing? They said it was for his leadership, but really it was for his marriage. God is here saying, no, 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 no. I'm pleased with his leadership. Zipporah at this point is following the Lord. Verse 8, so I speak with him directly. I open openly. I don't speak in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Moses actually saw God. So why were you not afraid to speak out against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased, resembling snow. So when Aaron turned towards her, he saw that she was diseased, and he said to Moses, My Lord, please don't hold this against us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. Please don't let her be like a dead baby whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. Talk about humility. It is hard to pray for and ask God to forgive those who are coming against you. That's that's what Moses is doing here. And then in verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, If her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she remain in disgrace for seven days? Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back in. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was brought back in. And so... So they are against God at this moment, or they are against what God is doing in the life of Moses, and it's specifically about who he married, that he married a black woman. And God sees that, and God deals with it, and I think it's interesting how God deals with it. Okay, skin color is so important to you. God gives her some kind of disease and makes her white. She was not a white woman. She was a Middle East. These were Israelis. These were Jewish people. So he would have taken and said, okay, well, that bothers you. Well, how about this? God punishes her, and he shows her, hey, you're, you're judging people on the wrong thing because this is a woman of God now. And so he, he says that. And, and um, so um, from this, here's the deal. When I first started studying all of this, the very first thing I said to us is that we're going to have to use the Word of God uh, as our authority. The Bible is our authority. And when I knew that I was going to preach this, I studied this stuff uh, back uh, last year. I knew that this was going to be, for many of us, one of the hardest things to get over from our childhood. Because, Frank, let's be very honest here. Some of us were directly or indirectly told by our family that interracial or interethnicity dating and marriage was wrong. It's not. It's not. If the Bible is our authority, then we are going to have to learn to follow it and direct our lives towards what God says, even when it disagrees with our upbringing. Now, God allows you to choose. God doesn't say that you have to marry into a different ethnicity. God says marry a believer. But I want to be very clear at this point. 
Moses chose not to. Moses chose to marry outside of his ethnicity. Moses was Middle Eastern, and he married a black woman. And God, and, and God did that, and God allowed that. What does God do in marriage? Look at this verse. It's so important. Matthew 19, 6. Almost all of us had this said at our wedding. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So this verse specifically is dealing not just with whether uh, marrying within an ethnicity, a different ethnicity, uh, ethnicity is right or wrong, it is also dealing with how we treat people who are in this type of relationship. And many of us, because we have been told wrong, there is derision. I mean, some of us, you know, some people would just come out and say it. And almost any couple that, that has, has this kind of relationship has probably experienced those moments. But more so, and almost on a continual basis, it's probably uh, with, with looks and, and feeling that you know people are, are against you. And uh, let's, let's make the assumption here that those are lost people because God gets on to Miriam and Aaron for not approving of what he has joined together. God does not make bad things. And if you've got two believers of any race that get married, then praise God, he's made a wonderful marriage. And celebrate that. And that's going to cause some of us to have to deal with a little bit of our background and some of us to have to work through those issues. Now, if you're not good with people, don't go up to those people and tell them that you're working through your issues. Those are your issues. All right? Don't, don't bring them in. They made their choice and they're happy with it. All right? But you have to work through those issues. Not only how you think, or not only how you speak, but how you think. And that comes so through in how we do those things. Guys, this is the word of God. I know of no other place. If you were raised differently, then fine. Come and tell me, but let's talk about the word of God, not about your upbringing. It's got to be our authority. And I knew that this was the one that was going to cause so many of us to go, I've got to reevaluate something. Because you chose to marry within your ethnicity, but when you see people who didn't marry within their ethnicity, you immediately judge, you immediately get, that's wrong. And it's not. If you don't know Christian or non-Christian, then you have no basis to judge. You have none. And so you need to be supportive. You need to be helpful. Now, this is why we are celebrating the Lord's Supper today. What God has joined together. What God has brought together. Not just in couples, if you're here today uh, with your family, but if you are here today with our church, God is bringing people of different ethnicities from our, to our church. And we are so thankful and we are so much better for it. And we want to say to those uh, uh, who have been around us, man, we are so thankful that God has brought you here. If you've come in the last few weeks, man, we are so thankful uh, that God has brought you here. And we want you to celebrate that God has joined us and brought us together.